was an excerpt from Light Up the Fire by Parchment, which was an English folk rock group from the early 1970s. And there's a direct connection with something I want to say in this cast, which is number 339, entitled Anglican slash single quote Anglican end of single quote, the purpose of which is to parallel the Lambeth Conference, which is being held the second week of which, this week, and to try to get to the heart of what this um, somewhat interesting historic phenomenon called Anglicanism, which many are deeply um, obeisant in relation to which, and it has real strength, and yet also can be like the poet described as when the church becomes really um, desiccated. He said the kiss of the church can be like withered leaves in autumn. And the communion known as the Anglican or English communion rooted in the English historic church has either the ability to be an extraordinarily powerful and winsome popular platform for the real gospel, the gospel of one-way love, the the compassion, empathy, and self-giving of the historic and theological Jesus Christ, which has changed everything in the world in favor of the possibility of transformation, new birth, and resurrection from the dead, quite literally and historically, as well as in your case, my case, or Anglican, in quotes, when it becomes an end in itself, can become formal, formalistic, dry, entirely horizontal, and sort of like the glass flowers that are preserved so beautifully, at least used to be in the Museum of Comparative and Zoology or Anatomy at Harvard, but that's all they are. They're beautiful glass flowers under glass, and we don't want that, and yet it often is. And I want to tell you my story, briefly, just elements of it, to both show the grandeur and the hope and the promise of Anglicanism, and also the almost, at times, um, intrinsically devastating and desiccating and dehydrating 
um, tendency of Anglicanism to focus on secondary matters. When it is good, it is very good. And when it is bad, which it often is, is um, does not advance the cause of one-way love, the cause that Mockingbird advances, the cause that um, many of us are attempting to bring to suffering and uh, pained individuals and people. As someone said recently, no one really goes in the church door for the first time on the basis of social justice questions or on the basis of um, biodiversity. Important as these things are, and right and good as often these concerns are very deeply to make the world a survivable and better habitable place. But that's not where we initially come to God. We come to God out of some great and distressing impasse uh, in which from which to which and around which we can see no exit, no entrance, no movement, and we are caught in a box canyon. And that's when God opens the door and becomes of interest to us, whatever he may be in our own initial concern. But we enter the church door because of God, not because of uh, horizontal, uh, even important values. We enter it because of the vertical need to find a savior. Now, I say that because as I said, the purpose of the cast is to show that Anglicanism, from my own experience, was a saving, that is to say, wait a minute, let me get that right, it answered a question which I had in adolescence, which is, where can I find God that is still recognizably um, attachable? Where could I, for example, find a ministry as a young, newly converted person that I was, that I could actually have a ministry which I want more than anything else together with Mary to prosecute? and to present and to lay down my life in honor of and in favor of and for the purposes of serving the world and my fellow sufferers. Where could I find that? Um, and I looked and I looked and I finally found it, but I found it in Anglicanism sort of through the back door. And that's what I want to talk about because it's the back door that's the most important. You can almost call it a theology of the cross in relationship to Anglicanism because what happened here is that I had grown up in the Episcopal Church, uh, at least as of the year 1960, as a nine-year-old child. And um, went to a school that was a five days a week Episcopal chapel that was liberal in every sense. There was nothing to react against. We sang the old hymns. We had sermons that were all about current events and that were perfectly okay. Um, and um, beautiful music and the, the prayer book was there and it was a good thing. And there was nothing to react against. It wasn't like elements of evangelicalism which caused people to become Roman Catholics in five minutes or Greek Orthodox priests because they grew up in Topeka, Kansas in a Southern Baptist church. And they're really seriously religious people. But they know what they don't want. Uh, there was nothing to react against in the background that I had in the Episcopal Church. On the other hand, when things got really rough, there was very little to go on. So when things got really rough in my life because of the end of a relationship in uh, my senior year, no, actually it was in my uh, the year after my senior year in college, my first year out of college, um, I looked, I needed, I looked so, I looked everywhere for help, went to Harvard Divinity School to find help and didn't find it. There was a lovely um, man, um, the rector of the church that I was associated with, the Episcopal Parish in Washington. He was a saintly man, but I had a conversion through focus, through a non-Episcopal as such environment and um, 
when I went back to this rector, his name is Malcolm Marshall, long dead, and I said, Mr. Marshall, by the way, it was always Mr. It was never Father. That's very, very recent. Um, anyway, I said, Mr. Marshall, something's happened to me. I think I've, I think I've had a kind of conversion. And he looked at me very um, lovingly with this extraordinarily wide and dear smile and said, you know, Paul, I've known you for a while, and I've been praying that something like this would happen. I mean, imagine the confirmation of that when this Episcopalian, very Brooks Brothers rector, said that to me. I was done done with empathy and power and movedness. Uh, but then I talked to Peter Moore and I said, well, where can I, if I, if I am called to the ministry, because I feel deeply, I want to share this, I want to give this. And Mary's, you know, around, in, but me, what do I do? And he said, well, he said, there's a group of people over in England, in the Church of England, who are, they call themselves evangelicals. And I know Paul. Oh, that word will probably, you know, uh, are you kidding? You know, ah, but they, he said, don't worry about that. They're, they're lovely people and they really, they'll identify with what you've experienced. And they'll also be um, high quality individuals with, with interest. And uh, they'll, they'll have many of the qualities that you're looking for. And yet they'll also, they'll deeply support your new birth. Well, I took him up on it, and I arrived uh, at St. John's Theological College in Nottingham, Nottingham, England. I was not an Anglophile, but I went. And that's what happens, by the way. If you, if you, if you get a message, follow it. Uh, if they say, go to Topeka, Kansas, go. Uh, it's just the, the stepping out. God always seems to work with a step of faith. Abraham, in this case, it was going to Nottingham, England, a, a place I'd never thought of going remotely. And I get off the Robin Hood bus. And uh, I see this chap there. I don't think he had a clerical collar, but he 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 looked like he knew something. And I said, "Are are you by any chance Canon Green?" His name was Michael Green, and he said, "Canon Green, I'm not Canon Green. I'm Michael. To you, I'm Michael. We are Christians here." I couldn't believe it. He said, "We are Christians here." Well. Um, Michael Green said that to me, and I said, oh my gosh, I mean, I've been in the National Cathedral all these years, and I've been with some very interesting people, but they would never use the word Christian in that way. They're Christians, yeah. Well, um, immediately I was plunged into the um, evangelical wing, but in this case, the evangelical wing that had been softened and germinated and uh, cross-pollinated by the charismatic renewal, and people like Graham Polkingham and David Watson were coming along, and... um, Michael, you know, the great Harper, the assistant uh, under John Stott, who'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit, etc., etc. And all of a sudden, oh my gosh, uh, we we were completely sustained. We were sustained in our faith. We had beautiful worship. We had, it wasn't high church. It was, but nor was it folksy. I mean, it was, it was everybody there. Almost every, I think everybody that we ever, I ever met had had a conversion. They were, they'd been doing this or doing that and they'd been converted and they were, they'd come often as couples. The two together had come to pursue a, a, a ministry in the C of E. And their uh, biblical one-way love ministry was overwhelmingly pastoral and powerful, and yet completely uninstitutional in the way I normally felt about it. I mean, they would, they would, <laughs> we, we, their sense of humor was unbelievable. They were all deep Christians. I mean, some of them were more law than others, but there was very little self-righteousness. It was very, very warm and embracing. But it was also um, Christianity and Jesus Christ came first. The church came second. Most of the people had grown up in the C of E in some form or another, and some regarded it as the best boat to fish from, to use a phrase I occasionally heard. But the vast majority were had been 
members of the Church of England in some form or another had been converted, wanted to have a ministry in what was the, the main church in that country and came forward. And it was completely counterintuitive in the sense that I had, there was nothing sort of about choral evensong. I mean, they, they, that was fine, but uh, um, this was a whole new support team. We went to an ordination in Blackburn Cathedral in the West, a very rough area, still is, uh, to have ministry. And our friend was um, going into a very challenging working, what they called a working class, we would say blue collar parish, <clears throat> difficult parish, but an evangelical man also in the charismatic renewal. We went to his um, somewhat high church uh, um, ordination to the uh, presbyterate or priesthood, as we say here. And uh, as I was going out, the dean was very nice. I had been struck by him. And I said, oh, I said, I, he said, well, who are you? And I said, well, I'm a friend of so-and-so's. This is my wife, Mary. And we, we're, we're up from St. John's Nottingham. And he said, St. John, John's Nottingham. Oh, Welcome, brother. And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, I'm a, I'm a graduate of Saint. I'm a I'm a I was I'm an ordinand. I was ordained out of St. John's Nottingham, and it's a wonderful place." And he said, and he and he was dressed in a huge, big cathedral cope. And he said, he said, as for this stuff, I he he sort of looked at his vestments and disparaged them, not meanly, but he said, "Don't be don't be fooled." He said, "By the by, what I have to wear twice a year at ordinations." He said, "I'm one of you. You're one of me." And I am just unbelievably together. Uh, and at that time, you know, Donald Coggan, who was an evangelical, became the Archbishop of Canterbury, and later on, our teacher, he was our close friend and teacher George Carey became the archbishop of the 103rd so you had a you had a you had real christians uh and also the charismatic renewal the paula white dimension was there the Paula White dimension was there. People were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit in Malvern and in Tewkesbury and places like that. And uh, Graham Palkingham, Michael Harper, I've already said, unbelievable. But what I'm saying is when the Anglican Church, at least in England, was a platform for one-way love, the gospel, one-way love, by the way, you've got to look at uh, read David Zoll's remarkable new book, Low Anthropology, which is just about to come out. It's been published, but it hasn't, actually, it's not available for another six weeks. Unbelievable reflection on the human nature, which so needs, and with such compassion, needs the, the, the saving message of God's grace and Jesus Christ's compassionate open hands of mercy. Um, it was a platform for us. A platform. We had a platform with the prayer. We had a platform that um, in within an institution. And uh, I mean, I was ordained uh, with a piece of paper that said I qualified for ordination in the C of E, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've worked often in the C of E situations. But my point is that Christianity and Anglicanism came together in a remarkable, unconflicted way. They dovetailed, and that was partly because there was a great tradition of people like Charles Simeon, after whom we named our third son, and uh, the tradition that Michael Green and Donald Coggan and George Carey came out of, and uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield and Henry Venn, and uh, you can just go down the list, and John Stott and so forth. And these people were real Christians, but within a kind of softened environment and a slightly less edgy or sharp environment that gave us a kind of, I don't know, uh, toned us all down and yet kept us utterly and completely beloved within a truly Christian outreaching witness in a country that was as secular as it could possibly be at that point and still is. Now, 
We went back to America and immediately hit a... Uh, within about two seconds of my curacy in the Diocese of Washington, we realized again that the Episcopal Church was a far more horizontal um, had good things, but far more horizontal. Uh, but the verticality had gone in favor of the social justice, which is all good. I mean, I've always been involved with a church where social justice matters were to the fore, and a great deal of it was good. Some of it was was angry and uh, almost what we today call virtue signaling, but much of it was very real. Al Shans and people like that. It was very real in the Diocese of Washington. Bill Went. I mean, I knew all these people. <clears throat> you can look them up. Um, Paul Moore. Knew him very well, but even as a kid, I knew him when I was 10. Um, John Walker, he, he was preached in the little chapel at St. Albans School, etc., etc., etc. But in general, our biblical verticality did not go well. We started a Bible study uh, in the parish, and the rector said, uh, who was very um, not at all in favor of what he regarded as a kind of Southern Baptist invasion, and it wasn't. I'd never met a Southern Baptist in my life until once one I met in 1970, and somewhere by mistake, <laughs> very strange, but um, would have run to the hills. But he said, well, I said, well, we want to please let us have a Bible study. He said, you can't do it on the church premises. Well, what about at home? I said, yes, well, if you really want, you can. And he allowed us to have one at home. And within about four months, half the parish started coming. I don't say that to blow our horn. I simply say to that he got really threatened and said we had to stop. He said he wanted no Bible studies here. Now, that's, I'm, that story is not at all unfamiliar. Many uh, people of my generation in the Episcopal Church who had been kind of converted and touched, and especially in Western Massachusetts, and had been uh, studied in England, came back with a colossal thud, and they were made very unwelcome. There were individuals like Fitz Allison who helped us along, and one thing led to another, and we had an extremely loving uh, bishop in Paul Moore, who was, could not have been more to the left, and yet he absolutely loved us and wanted us to get, get, he just loved our work and encouraged us in every single way. So, you know, it can work. But in general, the Christian side was sort of subdued to the uh, institutional and or institutional ideology, ideological agenda side, and it became the story of our lives, still is. <clears throat> now, of course, you can be outflanked on the right, and we were that too, but that's not what this podcast is about. I want to leave you with the uh, uh, fact, this is the point of the podcast, Anglicanism, without quotes, can be an enormously empathetic platform for the gospel of one-way love. Usually, it devolves over time to an over-concentration on secondary elements, such as liturgy or certain ideological elements within Anglicanism or Anglican self-identity, like the three-legged stool or something along word and sacrament, the three streams, and Anglicanism becomes a theoretical kind of waxed nose that can go many, many ways and becomes a source of of interest and also ultimately of controversy that um, takes away from the heart of it. But when it's um, rooted in the core of what Anglicanism can be, it's an enormously powerful tool. I see this at St. Matthew's in Bedford every uh, Sunday. I've seen it in uh, All Saints uh, Winter Park. I see it in many other parishes, but I also don't see it probably in more parishes that seem to be much more horizontal than vertical. And you're not going to enter the church for the most part unless you're in pain when all other possibilities have lost their ability to help you and the impulse causes you the impasse gives you the impulse to seek god and that's when the gospel is the absolutely 
brilliant, uh, I would say, the sole ultimate way forward to hope, health, and resurrection. Thank you so much. And we're now going to lead, uh, listen to just one verse of Bishop Timothy Dudley Smith's uh, evangelical bishop in the Church of England, now dead, his uh, immortal um, song, um, Lord for the Years, which we first encountered uh, at St. John's Nottingham. And I just couldn't, I mean, it was like nothing I'd ever heard in my life. Love you.